This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt Miguel Show. Like I said, I'm hey, I'm a bit of a dreamer myself. I am, I am, but I don't. You know, I'm. You got to have some level of practicality that goes along with it. You just got to. All right. Uh, once again, Listener Appreciation Month continues. Native Roots Radio coming up. Ghost Box Radio tonight. Uh, go to the AM 950 Facebook page. Go to the AM 950. Uh, go to am950radio.com. Sign up for the email newsletter. We'll have the Wheel of Destiny on Monday. More giveaways then as well. A huge grand prize coming up down the road. We'll get to that here eventually. Pump up the volume. I haven't heard this one for a while. Why not? It's Mars taking us into the weekend. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you on a Monday. Till then, see ya. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, as well as in the evenings on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Good to have you with us today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Guest free today. Well, I had like three yesterday, so. Yeah, sometimes they got, demand me to, you know earn my pay i guess uh patrick how are we today my friend uh doing well you know you have some of those days sometimes where you kind of run around but you don't really feel like things are getting done and you kind of feel a little bit defeated by it like what was i doing all that running around for i didn't get the things done i needed to and you know try again next week i'm sorry i stopped listening about three words into what you're just saying there (laughs) so (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I know exactly how you feel there. You, you wait and say, uh, one thing, if I can, I generally don't want to bring up sports too often, but I'm going to take this opportunity because I've got the Big Ten here. And, of course, we've got Illinois and Northwestern in the Chicago Metroplex. Uh, a lot of fans over there of those two teams. Uh, both of those teams are going to make the, the, the NCAA tournament, correct? I would have to uh, double-check the uh... – Northwestern, uh, is, yeah. Northwestern's kind of more of a bubble team. I think Illinois is probably more safe. Well, Illinois is twelve in the nation, so they're yeah. lock, they're a lock. Uh, there, okay. So the Gophers last night, Gophers uh, beat Ohio State. Delicious. Uh, they beat Ohio State. They're at I think seventeen wins. They're probably going to end for sure at nineteen. One win in the tournament that gets them to twenty. That used to be a guarantee. You're in the tournament twenty. Uh, it sounds like a lot of people are saying no this time. Yeah, I think the Big Ten as a whole is kind of down this year, and I think that okay. uh, that Iowa loss for Minnesota really hurts right now. Well, here's what I'm going to say. is Just because Michigan and Ohio State are not good doesn't mean the Big Ten is down, I would say. I mean, Purdue is very good. Uh, Illinois is very good. Uh, you, you know, you've got – other teams there that are, you know, Nebraska's got a decent year. They've got, uh, no, I, I just, I get so tired of it. Oh, it's Michigan and Ohio State. They're not doing well. Well, then the Big Ten's down this year. You know, okay, please. Um, I, I think it, that that's that's just kind of the, the narrative. And basically, I think it's going to, what is exactly what it's going to be when USC gets into the Big Ten next year. Well, the USC and Ohio State and Michigan are all kind of at the bottom of the conference in this sport. Well, they're having a real down year in the conference. Are we? Or is it just you, the, the, when you go to the mall and you go to the hat store and you see all the hats for Michigan and Ohio State and USC, that that's what you're pandering to? Because I think that that's a bit of it. Because, I mean, let's face it. If you had 20 wins in the Big Ten and you're going to the NIT, something's wrong with the league. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, I'm 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 not crazy on that, am I? No, I would agree with that, but I'm just kind of. I think maybe a little more top heaviness is what you're because if you talked about Purdue and Illinois is, you know, probably the two best. And Wisconsin uh, falling on its face is not doing anyone any favors right now. Although I kind of enjoy. Oh uh, no, it is. It's, it's. I think for everyone in Chicago and the Twin Cities, we all can enjoy Wisconsin sucking it. But you know, that's that's always good times, people. Right? Good times indeed. All right. Enough of that. Enough of the discussion. I mean, but I mean, you know, Illinois fans. Uh, you know, if you're a Purdue fan, if you're a Northwestern fan, you know, you know, because we get the same thing here in Minnesota. It's the, you know, Ohio State, Michigan aren't doing well. Well, of course, Penn State's not doing well, although the Big Ten's really down this year. Or no, it's just you you don't like the narrative of that that it exists. So you're basically going to create another one. So 952-946-6205. So yesterday uh, in the 4 o'clock hour locally, in the second hour, we, broadca- we talked about um, the sentencing for a Minnesota guy that was at January 6th, and he's going to jail for two years and eight months. And he's, you know, he's bon voyage, good time, smile file, as I like to call it. And I have said this to these clowns before that, and this, and I've said this to Mike Lindell, who is in big trouble. We talked about that yesterday. If you just apologize, admit your fault, admit that you were wrong and throw yourself on the mercy of the court, you probably aren't going to be put and go into jail for too long. 
or you're not going to have to pay out people. Now, I think in the case of Mike Lindell, it's kind of too late, too late for, you know, kind of walking back that at this point. I think back in 2021, he could have maybe gotten his himself out of that trouble, but not anymore. But when it comes to the January 6th rioters, you know, how many of them, I mean, just try them. It's you got a bunch of idiots who are trying to sound clever. I've watched some Law and Order, and so I'm going to put my argument like this. And it's only when, oh, you're found guilty. Oh, what, what, what? I'm, gui- I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, yeah, I'll sentence you. Recommendation is 10 years. I'll take that in consideration. Oh, wait a second here. I'm really sorry. That's when they get the really sorry, when their, their faux cleverness walks into a, a, a rake that's been planted in the yard. Proof of my theory on this. A regional Oath Keepers organizer who pled guilty to capital attacks felony last year was sentenced to Friday to 36 months of probation, the first six months of which will be home detention. This is a guy that worked with the government, helped them out, admitted he was wrong, you know, never once tried to outwit the judge on law stuff. Good luck with that. Good. Go team. You're representing yourself, you say. Okay. All right. I wouldn't have done that, but okay. He pled. He basically admitted his fault. He admitted his guilt, and he's going home. Now, I could make an argument still. I'm not very comfortable with that because, I mean, you do attack the capital of the United States trying to overthrow the government of the United States and throw out a legitimate election. There should be some consequences. But he does have home detention for six months. And, you know, he'll be on probation for another... um, 30 months after that, so he'll have to keep his schnozzo clean, but there you go. I don't have a problem with that. And I, if I could, to all you guys that are sitting there, saying, we're the real victims as we sit in jail, consequences of our crimes, you know. Maybe if you just had gone out there and admitted, boy, did we make a mistake. Uh, yes, the election wasn't stolen. We were basically caught up in the moment, and we were the stooges for Donald Trump, and we are so sorry. We should have never done this. Most of the people that are doing that, they're not getting long sentences. If they get sentences, as all a lot of them are getting home detention for a, some many cases, like a month. That's it. So catch up on some reading. You know, you know, you know, rewatch your favorite TV shows. I guess. So I, I just want to put that out there because if you are a one of these cowards that the January six people that are running and trying to hide and trying to prevent anyone from finding out who you are, um. You know, if you just turn yourself in, even now, I think, and just say, I'm so sorry, this, I shouldn't have done this, this was wrong, I'm ready to take my blame, I'll plead guilty, what do you need me to do? And you do it, eh, you'll probably be home before uh, 4th of July. You'll probably be home before 4th of July, just saying. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So I've got a friend of mine that's listening, I guess, to the Malcolm Gladwell podcast about, and then they're talking about guns. And... It's been a bit of a week to talk about guns because we've had three relatively high-profile shootings in this country recently. We had, of course, the shooting at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade, which led one dead and over 20 injured. You had the shooting in Indianapolis at a Waffle House. And then you had the tragic loss of life of two police officers and a first responder in the suburbs of Minneapolis and Burnsville when a man turned the gun on the police fired off over a hundred rounds. The question comes down to, if you know anything about history, 
you know this narrative that the gun kooks put forward is a myth that this country wasn't founded on guns. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we had wars and those, that's a little different. That's not just guys walking down the street right now. There has never been a time in this country where more people have been walking up and down the street with a loaded weapon period as a percentage. I mean, obviously we are a much larger population than back then, but as a percentage of the population by far, more people are walking around with guns today than ever in the history. This is not some sort of old West narrative. No, this is the old West. Wasn't like this. It wasn't. And so the question comes is how did we get to this point? How did we get to this point where we have wrapped ourselves in this false idea that guns are everything guns 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 i mean we like i said we had the revolutionary war we had the civil war the war of 1812 i mean the mexican-american war which we you know was fought uh, in 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 places that are currently in the united states you have yeah i mean there 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 is we've had conflicts that's not what we're talking about the narrative in this country is is that guns built this country guns are what kept us safe and that's a lie that's just a lie. When we weren't in combat, and I should maybe I should as well mention with the wars, the slaughter of the Native American people by the U.S. military time and time and time again. That happened too, the Dakota War. As we double-crossed them and starved them to death and then basically said, what are you going to do about it? And they, yeah, and they fought back. And the response was to not say, boy, are we sorry, we should not have done that, but to persecute them even more. Now, the idea of, you know, people walking down the street with a gun on their hip, with iron on their hip, that's a myth. That is. Back in the day, guns were expensive. People don't want to seem to understand that. It wasn't like guns were free, that there was like a gun tree and you just go pick a few. Oh, and look, the bullet tree is blossoming. You know, no, it's, it wasn't like that. Thank God. No, guns were expensive. And if you had one, you sure, you know, it, it, you, you know you, it was not something that you kind of just wore around all the time. I mean, the bad guys wore the guns. I mean, that's one of the things about the movie Unforgiven, which I do kind of like, is that the portrayal there is not that there were these heroes that roamed the West with guns, but there were these bad guys that roamed the West with the guns. Now, that's somewhat true, but it wasn't like everyone was armed. As a matter of fact, um, most of the people of the West didn't have a gun because they were so expensive. They were coming out here because that was it was something, for, especially for a lot of the European uh, transfers, it was, you know, the idea of owning land was something that, they never dreamed was possible. So they would come on out and they were just trying to find land. They weren't necessarily trying to have gunfights all the time. No, it, it's a myth. I mean, most of the guns back then were used to kill Native Americans or African Americans or Asian Americans. And that's kind of, a, or the lower class working class who all of a sudden said one day, hey, you need to feed us and you just shoot them because it was easier. That's why a lot of those railroad barons had to spend a ton of money after they were, as they were dying to basically rejuvenate their, their, their legacies because, you know what, 
their legacies were pretty atrocious. But that's just kind of what it was. That's That was the world that was then. It, the guns were not everywhere. So where did this come from? I'll tell you what. We'll take a break. Come on back. I'll talk more about this. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So if the gun culture as we perceive it today never existed before today, which it really didn't, where did it come from? And as a matter of fact, how did we get to this point at all? Because if you go back and you look at like entertainment from like the 1890s, 1900s, 1910s, 1920s in this country – it was very much more like British entertainment where it wasn't guns first. I mean, it was dramas. It was period pieces. And I'm not saying guns didn't show up in some of the stuff. Of course it did, but it was never the linchpin. It was never the, 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 the focal point. It wasn't the co-star of the play or the book per se. No, this is, this gun culture is a modern thing. And frankly, a lot of it starts with what you're listening to. If you are listening in in Minneapolis-St. Paul on terrestrial radio on the AM signal here, it starts with this. Because when radio started, and they started doing radio plays and radio dramas and stuff, I I read a book years ago about this, is that they loved guns because guns made gun sounds. So let me give you an example. If I'm in a play and they're having someone get choked, it goes like this. And if you're listening to it, you can't really tell what's going on. But a gun, it's, you know, that sort of thing. Easy to follow what's going on there. Someone got shot. And so it became a staple of the radio dramas and the radio serials of the time, which predominantly were either detective ones or Westerns. And that was the case. It was, those were what you had. You had those that, that put out there. and But even then... If you, and I've listened to a lot of them. I mean, like Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator Johnny Dollar. If you ever listen back to that, uh, you know, he, you know, he occasionally would come across a gun and stuff, and that'd be part of the plot. The reality is, is that the guns were 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 there, but it wasn't necessarily something that was worshipped, or you know, they, they, I mean, Matt Dillon a little bit in the gun smoke and stuff like this, where it was where it was the sheriff trying to keep justice, but even then. It was, you know, you know, it only got later in the series that it became guns, 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 guns. The bad guys were the ones with the guns. In this culture, that continued over to television into the 1950s because that was kind of the big thing. And then in the 60s and the 70s, two things happened that really kind of pulled back on gun ownership and gun violence in the country, per se. One was the fear of of leftist and black organizations. I mean, Reagan ran for governor of California saying he was going to make sure he took all the Black Panthers guns away. I mean, that was kind of one of his bellwether talking points. The fear of these kind of leftist groups that were were out there with guns led people to encourage gun control and gun safety and stuff like that. But you can't, when, when I talk about this, and I want to be very clear, I am not one of these people saying you've got to rein in entertainment. You've got to rein in television, rein in movies, and rein in video games. No. 
What's done is done. And people want to put that stuff out. They can put that stuff out. But you have to understand how culturally things changed because in 1977, Star Wars came on out. And nobody really wanted guns anymore. They wanted spaceships and laser blasters, and they wanted they wanted lightsabers and droids and stuff. And the gun industry really was, I mean, sure, they, they sold hunting weapons and they sold, um, you know, some personal defense pistols, but it, it wasn't really with kind of getting anything there. And there was a decision that was made that the gun industry needed to implant itself onto cultural America. Think about the movies that came out in the 80s. Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Terminator. Rambo. Not only was those gunrific movies, which went really from about '83 up until the, into the 1990s, were there a lot of the guns present? The guns were the co-star of that film. The guns were this cool weapon that dealt justice. And the impression that they tried to place out there, maybe it's not so much, especially with the the Terminator movies, but. With, with the other movies is, if you don't have a gun, well, you're just asking for Nakatomi Plaza to be taken over. Are you going to stop them, John McClane? And it, it changed the mentality of the country. And by the way, in, in the same sense as that cigarette companies paid movies to include cigarettes for many years, the, the, the gun industry basically said, what do you guys need? We, it, just, as long as you put them in the movies, we're okay with it. And they basically went out there and encouraged gun use in these movies. And the Hollywood's like, hey, we're not going to turn away a free buck. So, yeah, why not? So you had this monumental shift in the way we perceived guns at that point in the 1980s into the 90s. And, and by the way, in the early 90s, it started going back down again. But then it came back again with the Matrix and these things where the, the, the gun was a, co- a feature of it and stuff. And once again, I am not saying, well, we need to rein in these movies. No, I mean, the movies are movies. TV is TV. You know, video games are video games. But we are at a point now where the entrenchment of the concept of guns as the is it's as the way it's always been matt ever since this country was founded everybody had a a you know a gatling gun at home no 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 most people never had guns most people never did because they were so damn expensive they might have a hunting weapon but they they sure didn't have a they didn't have a, an arsenal in their homes. They couldn't afford it for God's sakes. Many of these people were poor farmers. One of the reasons give you an idea. Back in the the, the the Civil War, the South, one of the ways they got people to sign up is they said, hey, you can keep the gun after the war. Because they were like, wow, great, you can keep the guns. That'd be great. A lot of people got guns. They couldn't afford them for God's sakes. Every video game you see today, well, almost every video game, almost every one of them. What is it? First-person shooters. Bang, 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 bang. What is the impact on our society of this? Let's take a look at the shootings from this last week. One Minnesota, you have, you know, a deranged man that that thinks that he needs to have an assault weapon for safety. He needs to have this. He's the hero of his own story, and if he doesn't have his gun by his side, clearly mentally compromised and... The price is paid is two dead police officers and a dead first responder. 
But I want to look at the other two shootings as well. The one in the Waffle House in Indianapolis and the one at the end of the Kansas City Chiefs victory parade. What were those? The one in the Kansas City Chiefs parade is, what you looking at? No, what you looking at? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to solve this right now. I'll tell you what, I'm going to solve this right now. And they thought that's how you solve the problem. They thought that that's how you do it. And they ended up blasting away at people. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, I guess that's not how you do it. Are you sure? Because we've given people the impression that is how you solve things. And until we break this, this is going to continue. I'll finish with Yellowstone. I think Yellowstone is a hilarious TV show because I've asked the question, as opposed to shooting up all your neighbors... Have you thought about being nice to them? <laughs> you got a property dispute? Well, let's go to the county and figure that out or, you know, hire a lawyer. I don't think you have to kill off the entire neighboring family. I just, just a suggestion. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950 and WCPT. Broadcasting in the evening on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and in the afternoons on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Good to have you with us. Yeah, that's one thing about Yellowstone I, I just, I'm not a big fan of. Is it? Okay, wait a second here. Uh, you got a problem with your neighbor. All right. Um, have you tried not shooting them? I mean, <laughs> I just, you know, I don't mean to second guess everything, but, you know, have you, how about a picnic? Uh, picnics are nice. People like picnics. I mean, if, if it, but you see, as, as much as that's a joke, the reality is this is what we're coming up against now. This is the world that has been created by this, that you solve minor squabbles by pulling the guns and firing guns. I want to repeat once again, something I said at the beginning of this, this is by far the most dangerous gun culture this country has ever seen. No. Back in ye old West, people didn't walk up and down the streets with guns all the time looking for gunfights. That's just stupid. That's a narrative. That is, that is a creation of Hollywood and entertainment fed to dupes who basically, because they feel like they're missing something in their life, have to have something that gives them the confidence to get through the day. And that's what it is. Hey, I grew up in a gun family. Parents hunted, family hunted. I hunted once or twice. I got done with hunting after I got out of the military and realized kind of what guns can do. I don't have any problem with hunting weapons. Actual hunting weapons, not AR-15s disguised as a, a hunting weapon. Please. I don't have any, really, I, I would not own one, but I would not, you know, if someone wants to have a personal defense pistol, Fine. But it's this, you know, we have to arm people like they're going on patrol in Fallujah. That's just, you know, what are you doing, man? This is why our country is broken. People walking into a, a, a Starbucks or a Caribou Coffee and seeing guys with AR-15 strapped to their back. That's the problem. That is a society. Back in the day when the guns, the culture that you guys referred back to, what the reality was, the only people that would carry guns like that generally were either the police or the bad guys, not decent people. So please forgive us if we can't tell the difference between you and a bad guy when you decide, I'm going to just carry my gun around because I might have to settle a squabble. Really? It's only, you wonder why the gun, I mean, hey, 
you wonder why the gun shootings are getting worse and worse and worse. That's it right there. That's it right there. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. So the, this, the rest of this segment here, I got to go through the insane mountain of stuff associated with Alexander Smirnoff. And this this is the the informant that Comer and Jim Jordan and Chuck Grassley all said, here's our smoking gun that we've got Joe Biden dead to rights. Oh, he's been lying through his teeth, fed to the information by the Russians. Oh, I mean, we had tons of other evidence. Uh, here's Mr. Handy talking about it. You know, that sort of thing. They don't have anything. This was whenever their their investigation blew up in their face, they basically argued that it was when their investigation blew up in their face, they went back to this informant and said, see, we have this informant, so it doesn't matter what everything else. Now they don't have the informant. The informant, by the way, yeah, you should think this guy is going to run. It was pretty bizarre that the court allowed him. They did not put him into jail. They allowed him. He gave a stern, if you didn't see the judge, the judge initially when he brought Smirnoff in, gave him a stern finger wagon and said, I, they want to lock you up, but I'm going to let you go, but don't make me look like a fool here. Well, he was starting to look like a fool. The court documents revealed on Friday revealed the U.S. District Court in the Central District of California. Otis Wright ordered the rearrest of the FBI informant Alexander Smirnoff because the judge found it very likely he would try to flee the country. The order, which was described by just security legal reporter Adam Klasfeld as wild, states it has come to this court's attention that counsel for Smirnoff had sought an emergency hearing to arrange the release of defendant Smirnoff, likely to facilitate his absconding from the United States. An earlier court decision agreed with the government that Smirnoff was a flight risk, but disagreed to pretrial detention was necessary and he was allowed to go free as long as he wore a GPS ankle bracelet. Judge Wright said the government case was compelling enough to justify arresting Smirnoff for a second time. What's more, he demanded Smirnoff be brought to his court by this upcoming Monday. That motion for reconsideration has been granted, and the court issued an arrest warrant specifying that upon his arrest, defendants should be brought promptly to this court. Judge ruled the judge, indeed, a 9 a.m. Monday uh, meeting to bring defendant to courtroom 5D located at the First Street Courthouse in Los Angeles, California. The U.S. Marshal Service advised there there'll be no de- deviation from this order. Fernoff, who was considered a key witness in the House impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, was arrested last week, charged with lying to investigators about bribes that Biden purport, uh, purportedly took from the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. In interviews with law enforcement officials, Smirnov admitted that he got his information about Biden from individuals linked to Russian intelligence. Uh, Special Counsel David Weiss arranged, uh, alleged earlier this week. So, yeah, he, the, the, he was going to run. I mean, that that's no doubt. And as a matter of fact, can I make this point? I think that the Republicans... Would I be surprised if the, well, I, I know this, the Republicans want him gone. So him fleeing to Russia, they can just basically shrug their shoulders. The reality is, is this is actually bad for them because the more he's here and the more he testifies and the more we find out exactly the timeline that his lies were realized, that's not going to go well. Um, the, the, so there is this other witness that they've tried to ramp up as a, he's, you know, the other guy. Yeah. Even though we pointed to him all the time, this other guy's the, the real super duper deal. Ah, funny story. House <laughs> Republicans impeachment inquiry into president Joe Biden, which is already on shaky ground might've just suffered another blow. The issue is testimony of Tony Bublinski, the former business associate of Hunter Biden, who has made allegations of corruption against president Joe Biden. 
And so this is this is the one hunter buddy who says, no, there's been alleg- there's 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 more than smoke here. While talking with House Republican investigators last week, Bublinski accused former White House official Cassidy Hutchinson of lying about him after she claimed in her book that she saw him secretively taking the former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, talking rather to uh, White, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in Rome, Georgia. Okay, so now you have the former Chief of Staff for the White House under Trump talking with Hunter Buddy Biden's former co-worker in Rome, Georgia, for some reason. According to Hutchinson's recollection, Bublinski appeared to be wearing a ski mask, and she said that he saw, she saw Meadows hand Tony what appeared to be a folded sheet of paper or a small envelope. Bublinski, though, was outraged, completely denied this account, and labeled Hutchinson an absolute liar and fraud, adding that Meadows didn't hand me a single thing. But now... <laughs> <laughs> you know where this is going. But now ABC News has reported that William H. Uh, Jordan, an attorney representing Hutchinson, has produced a photo of Meadows and Bublinski in Rome, Georgia, in which Bublinski is clearly wearing a mask covering his face. <laughs> Maybe he was robbing Meadows. I don't know. He could have. Additionally, the two men are talking while standing in between two cars, which matches Hutchinson's recollection. She observed Mark and Tony Bublinski's interaction through the gap in the vehicles. Bublinski's claim under oath that he was not wearing a mask, that Meadows did not hand him anything, and that Mr. Mrs. Hutchinson was fabricating facts. Jordan said in a letter defending his client, perhaps Mr. Bublinski's memory is impaired about the meeting, and a picture would help him refresh his recollection. The new questions about the veracity of Bublinski's testimony comes as another star witness to the GOP impeachment inquiry. Uh, Smirnoff was indicted last week. So wait a second here. We we should not we should not just skip past this. You got Smirnoff who's being directed by the Russians to attack Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, and now you've got Bublinski who sure as heck seems to be being pushed by Meadows, Trump's own chief of staff, to push lies too. And they got a photo of it. Yeah, there is no there there. There is no there there. And then there's this. Like I said, there's a ton of news on this today. Because I think what's happening is people are going back and looking at things and realizing how much stink is all over the Republicans on this. At a gala in May 11th, 2019, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was handed a thumb drive from a foreign national with Dirt on Hunter Biden, Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, according to a new report. I have no idea what accent the man spoke in. I just picked one randomly. Bush and boy. An exclusive report from Insider cited two sources with direct knowledge of the incident who explained that the thunder drive was given to Pompeo's aides by an FBI informant and former KGB agent with the codename Raleigh. Are you sure it wasn't Comrade? Anyway, Insider said he decided not to print the informant's real name. When asked about it, Raleigh first denied the claim and then showed photos of him with Pompeo. He wrote on over, uh, over WhatsApp, You can publish. It's advertising for me. Not interested in past. He denied having handing over a thumb drive, though. On the drive was some information he gave months earlier to Justice Department officials in Los Angeles. The documents contain poorly sourced allegations from old news articles and links from Ukrainian and Russian websites saying Hunter Biden was laundering money 
They frequently refer to President Joe Biden using his first name, but misspelling it as Yosef. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Bidensky. Yosef Bidensky. Yeah, the president of United States. Rudy Giuliani is known to have given Pompeo a folder of documents containing unproven allegations and probably his underwear. While he got... A- why am, why am I being like that, man? I don't. Why am I being like that? Well, he got uh, he got while well in Ukraine in March of 2019. It's also when the insider characterized him. Right wing investigator reporter John Solomon also began writing about Burisma and the Bidens for the Hill. And we forgot about John Solomon, the guy from the Hill, who basically was writing out all these lies and was so poorly sourced. And we want to remind you, Solomon got run out of the Hill, which is a right wing news outlet. A little to the right. It's it is you know sometimes more in the middle, but it is it is definitely got a right leaning slant on it. But the hill he got run off that because he was not his sources didn't pan out. Um, the attack on Biden began shortly before he went to Ukraine on December 2015 for a meeting in which Biden said a prosecutor had to be fired for corruption. Biden was carrying out a policy developed by the State Department and coordinated with the European Union and International Monetary Fund, the Washington Post explained in 2019. Posting about it on social media, former Foreign Affairs Committee Communication Director Tim Mulvey uh, explained the allegations about Hunter Biden and first appeared online track back to the Russian website. So they were trying to get this in Pompeo's hand. They got it into Giuliani's hands. And, you know, it basically was all based, once again, on the same Smirnoff uh, kind of, you know, fallacy and lies that were there. Um, Jerry Nadler has chimed in on a completely different story. He's pushing the United States Department of Justice to launch an investigation into former U.S. attorney who vouched for the veracity of claims made by Smirnoff, the informant who was arrested last week and charges of lying in investigators. A letter sent to Attorney General Merrick Garland, Nadler questioned how former U.S. Attorney Scott Brady could have vouched for Smirnoff's claim when prosecutors found significant problems with the story, which they unraveled in the criminal indictment against him. This is a lot like the Her case, where... It, it, the, the allegations. So, so Brady was the guy that investigated under the uh, uh, Bill Barr when Bill Barr was the Attorney General, uh, Attorney General. He was the special investigator then, and he came on out and basically said, "I'm not going to charge anything, but there seems to be some more than smoke with this. There, there seems to be some fire here." Well, everyone who's talked about Smirnoff since has said, "Oh no, this was easily disproven," but. It seems Brady used the opportunity to push a political narrative, which is only now falling apart. And Nadler has a legit question. How are you how are you so convinced this was true when it was easy to see his allegations were not true? Which brings up the real big enchilada. Legal and national security experts, including former prosecutors, are calling for the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Senate to conduct investigations into the Alexander Smirnoff scandal to determine how the trusted FBI informant was able to allegedly plant false Kremlin propaganda attacking Joe Biden and Hunter Biden into the Republican House of Representatives in an effort to take down President of the United States. Other legal experts are warning House Republicans if they continue to assert what special counsel David Weiss started in a court document as false claims, including that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden each took $5 million bribes that could be subject to conspiracy charges. The top three Republicans being mentioned are House Oversight Committee Chair Jim Comer, House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan, and U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley. There are a lot of people who are saying, 
All three of those guys should be hauled in. And the question needs to be asked, what did you know and when did you know it? Because if they knew it and they kept pushing the lie, they need to explain why they kept lying to the American people. Like I said, a lot on that. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday. I hope you have a good weekend plan for you. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So, uh, yeah. Um, it, it, it's been also entertaining today to watch the Republicans frantically scamper about to try to figure out how the heck. Reminder, they're desperately trying to say abortion is not an issue anymore abortion's not an issue anymore and then all of a sudden you find out a few weeks ago that uh, donald trump is planning on putting forward i think it's a 16-week abortion ban on a national level which he's furiously found out about because obviously he feels as if that's going to be detrimental now it's something they float around but then they 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 realize that the general population doesn't want any more abortion restrictions especially in states which are toss-up states i don't think that it's going to help them too much in say pennsylvania ohio michigan in those states, Georgia, I don't think it's going to help them there. I don't think it's going to help them in Arizona. But then comes the absolute hand grenade of a ruling by Chief Justice Foghorn and the rest of the Alabama Supreme Court down there, which said, and <clears throat> I'm not making this up. They said a frozen embryo is a human being. That's what they said. They said a frozen embryo is a human being. Yeah. And what the case stems from is some guy apparently opened up a, a refrigerator in a in an in vitro fertilization clinic and dropped a test tube and they're charging him with murder. Murder! Because he killed a human being. Really? Where's the body? Well, it's that, that, you see that small smudge there? That's the body. The, the frozen embryo? Yes, human. You mean human being. That's not a frozen embryo. That's a human being. <laughs> they don't have the bomb squad. It's the bomb pop squad. There you go. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here all week. Well, you know, five o'clock local time. But you get my point. Needless to say, this has not been good. And since that ruling came on down in Alabama, was it four now in vitro fertilization clinics have immediately stopped all service to families. Which this is, this is, as I've said, it is, this isn't mainstream Republican policy. This is this extremist, far-right, Christian nationalist, we're going to force ourselves on everyone's mentality. This is one of those things where like 4% of the population agrees on it, and most of them ended up being on the Alabama Supreme Court. And yeah, it, it's it's something which is a nightmare because... All of a sudden, and let's talk, what is what is in vitro fertilization? It's where people are having trouble having a kid, and they use this process to get pregnant so they can start a family. The epitome of what they say, well, we want we don't want abortion because we want people to have families. And yet here you have a case where people are trying to have families, but because they want to insert their version of Christianity, not Christianity, their version of Christianity into your medical treatments. That basically they say, that's evil. It's evil. 
Same thing for stem cell research. You know, although they have no problem when the when the research from stem cell work comes out and ends up coming up with a life-saving treatment that will help them or a family member. Oh, then it's okay, but for everybody else, no, that sort of thing. Well, Republicans are apparently, it's a freaking fire sale right now with all the Republican circles. Trump, Trump himself has come on out and said, Alabama, you disappointed me. Uh, he basically, he's demanding that they, that, that, that get fixed, that this is some sort of monstrosity. The Republican national senatorial committee who also realized the danger of this is urging candidates to strongly oppose the Alabama Supreme court ruling, restricting access to fertility treatments. Um, this is from a story from access. And I want to make sure we point out this is a Republican Supreme court ruling. And the Republicans themselves are are basically ordering every Republican to turn on those guys and say it's bad. In Alabama, which is, you know, the seventh circle of Alabama, in Alabama, the, all the Republicans are down there frantically trying to get back to the Capitol to, to get a bill to stop this because they see how bad this is going to hurt. And, and so you got one of those cases where it's a, I'm a Southern judge and I'm going to make my will known. And he's so extremist. And like I said, he put out his own ruling on the case, the Supreme Court foghorn there. He put out his own ruling on this that was talking about God and smiting down demons and stuff like this. And it was like, wow. So the Republicans themselves are frantically trying to get past this. Republicans have struggled to find a winning strategy on reproductive issues since the conservative-led U.S. Supreme Court reversed Roe v. Wade. The Alabama case has given Democrats a chance to bash GOP candidates about the slippery slope of red states post-Roe restrictions. The Senate Republican campaign arm sent a memo to candidates Friday urging them to clearly and concisely reject efforts by the government to restrict in vitro fertilization or uh, according to copy attained by Axios. It called the Alabama ruling fodder for Democrats hoping to manipulate the abortion issue for electoral gain. Uh, quick question. We're not manipulating it. We're just calling out what you guys are doing. That's not manipulation. That's just called, hey, you see what they're doing over there? And they want to do it everywhere. There are zero Republican Senate candidates who support efforts to restrict access to fertility treatments. I, I doubt that. I guarantee you one of them is going to pipe up here. One senior GOP told Axios that anyone not speaking out on the ruling would be committing political malpractice. Most Americans support abortion rights, and the Alabama decision highlighted one of the GOP's biggest vulnerabilities in November as it tries to retake control of the Senate and the House. The, the National uh, Republican uh, Senate Committee's move is a signal that many Republicans hope to navigate the post-roll fallout by limiting how far they go to curbing reproductive rights. So this obviously kind of blasts that apart. The memo encourages candidates to show support for fertility-related services as blessings for those seeking to have children and oppose any efforts to restrict access to IVF as a defense of family values and individual freedom. Think about this. This is, this is, them, this is them flailing in the ocean at this point. It also tells candidates to push for better access, including insurance coverage and support for in vitro fertilization. You know, it's the attorney general down in Alabama has already basically said, I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I am not charging people with this. I am not going to do this. But the damage is done. I'm going to guess at least half the in vitro fertilization clinics in Alabama closed down and move anywhere else. And by the way, can I mention Illinois and Minnesota? They're lovely states. 
welcome. We won't prosecute you. Chicago, have a fantastic weekend. Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Hour 2 of the show here on your Friday, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number, Matt and Patrick. One day where it feels slightly cold out there, but it's going to be, what, 60 on Monday? 60. Yeah, that's uh, pretty ridiculous. Did you see in Wisconsin, man, that they've declared an, a, a state of emergency because of the lack of snow? I did not see that, but that's not even something I would think about, but I don't blame them. Well, I mean, you have an entire economy that's based on winter. I mean, the the, the average low, I was watching Sven Sundgarden. I posted the weather forecast from Bring Me the News uh, that he put out there. Um, I, I watched Sven Sundgarden's weather. He said the average low temperature for today, historical low temperature, is 16. That should be the low temperature today for February. We're not even going to get close to that at all. I mean, tomorrow morning is going to be somewhat close, but it's going to be the coldest morning of the week, but it's still going to be like five degrees warmer than that. And yeah, it looks like we're going to hit 60 or at least high 50s. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And like I said, get out and enjoy it. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a nice temperature. I, I mean, it's not, it's very, very wrong, but at the same time, you know, it it's, you know, get out. I mean, I'm not saying you should stay in your home and just, you know, shiver in the basement. That's for, that's for writers. <laughs> that's for writers who have seen the new state flag. I'm going to go hide in the basement and go, go text people about how much I hate it. <laughs> Good luck with all that. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It is my info sheet on the, the uh, AM 950 Listener Appreciation Month. This week has been spectacular. By the way, everyone heading over to Randy Rainbow tonight, have a great time. Uh, Fantastic. One of the funniest, one of the absolute funniest human beings on the planet right now. Uh, So glad he's in town and go enjoy that show. Have a great time tonight. We this week have been giving away uh, uh, gift certificates to some of these great restaurants that have been supporting AM950 for a long time. These are thank yous to you because you guys have been fantastic. You guys have been fantastic. And we have long overdue, long overdue have we been meaning to get out there and get you guys some some thank yous. And so we're doing it. We got a full month of it. Still got a great a grand prize. But we Yeah, there's going to be a lot of fun with the grand prize. Looking forward to that. The um, <laughs> I, I will say this is going to be a popular one. This is going to be a popular one. Coming up sometime this hour, sometime this hour, uh, you'll have a chance at winning a 50 $50 gift certificate to Nightingale, where they serve bar snacks, small plates, and entrees, encouraging sharing in a warm and hospitable sitting in Minneapolis on Lindale and 26 Nightingale, Minneapolis. It is one of the one of the more popular places. Uh, it is a gift certificate for $50 later on this hour. I'll tell you when you have a chance to call in. you got to wait. you got to hold your horses. I will say that there are all the other ways too that you can win. Uh, listen to Native Roots Radio, Robert, uh, Robert uh, Piloting Crew over there. Listen to Greg Bach and Ghost Box Radio at night. Fantastic options. You can go to the AM 950 Facebook page and like the Facebook page, click on one of the posts there. That will get you entered in uh, for our weekly drawings, which we'll do. Are we doing Wheel of Destiny on Monday again, Patrick? It sounds like we can do that. We'll be shooting for Wheel of Destiny on Monday. So get to the Facebook page. Like and like on the, the posts and stuff like that, you'll be fine. 
And then the email newsletter. Sign up for the email newsletter at am950radio.com. And yeah, you'll all be entered in. We'll be giving away giveaways there. We have another whole week of giveaways. Looking forward to it. So listen for your chance to win right here on AM 950. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Um, I want to start with another story here. Um, yeah. I, I it, it is remarkable the amount of crimes that happen like this. It really is. The owner and operator of an Adina-based financial advisor and real estate investment firm cheats investors out of more than $1.5 million and use the money to buy properties in the city, according to federal prosecutors. Christy Berge, B-E-R-G-E, 47, was charged Thursday in U.S. District Court in Minneapolis with one count of wire fraud in connection with a scheme that ran from mid-2020 to early 2023. Burge was charged in what's called a, an information, um, meaning she intends to plead guilty. Messages were left with her and her attorney, Joe Friedberg, seeking a reaction to the allegation, according to the charging document. Burge provided managed clients' investment portfolios uh, you know, through Keep Safe Investments, also known as KSI Financial. She also co-owned and operated J&K Connect, which bought, renovated, and sold properties. Starting in June of 2020 and continuing until February 2023, Burge stole roughly $1.6 million from her clients' accounts, including retirement investment maintained by a company in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Over the course of the scheme, Burge withdrew amounts ranging from $5,000 to $220,000 without the Texas company's knowledge and moved it to a KSI bank account. She then used the money to buy multiple properties in Edina for her real estate business. She also used some of the money to buy a residence in Edina for a family member. To cover up her thefts, Burge labeled the withdrawals as being for management or administrative fees and created false authorization records in one instance she appended a client signature to one authorized document, also forged a signature of a notary republic. Okay, so wait a second here. How are you not charging her with forgery? She is being charged with one kind of wire fraud. I mean, the last I checked, if you forge a signature for a notary of the public, that's actually a serious crime. Oh, let me guess. <laughs> a white collar theft from a diner, you say? Hmm. Hmm. I'm just gonna. If you don't, can you indulge me for a second here, I'm gonna just. Da, 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 da. All right, one second here. Da, 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 da. Let me just pull up an image here. Um. Oh, okay. Seems to explain it right there. Uh, <laughs> yep, as uh, yeah, as uh, as advertised there. Uh, yeah, nine five two nine four six six two zero five nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's why. Yeah, there's only the one charge there. That that that, that uh, considering our legal system, that 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 pads out there. So. Um, 
The charging calls on Burge, uh, Burge to forfeit six properties in Edina, three condominiums and two buildings on South York and homes in the 5200 block of Dannon's Drive, 6300 block of Josephine Avenue, 6400 block of Wilren Drive, and combined current value of residences of more than 1.7, according to Henry County property records. Burge's current residence in Edina, which is not among the six, uh, six is also has an estimated value of more than $650,000. Um, the what what we're looking at here is yeah it it's this is is what it is it's exactly what it is this is not about trying to make ends meet this is trying to be the big wheeler dealer this is trying to impress people. This is trying to trying to to look at look at me. I'm big and successful. And this is not about. I'm just worried about my my retirement. And and I and I want to be careful here because I think, without a doubt in my mind, there's probably going to be people that are coming on out here and saying, "But come on, Matt, who doesn't like being rich? It's it's expensive to retire." She was just trying to build her business. She still stole the money. She still stole the money. And we have this story play out over and over and over again, where, as, as I'll point out, when an African-American person steals $10, it's lock them up for life. And then we have a white-collar criminal who steals $440,000 or $1.6 million. And the first thing is, well, you know, come on, mistakes have happened. I mean, I think they've learned their lesson. It's theft. It's, you know, we, if you treated it the same way, guess what? It would actually stop. If you treated people that stole $1.6 million through white collar crime, the same way you charge someone who took $10 from a liquor store, I guarantee you that would be enough of a warning. But my guess is going to be is we'll get another stern finger wagging. Maybe like the guy yesterday a full two and a half days of jail time. It's, it's crazy. And the, like I said, I don't want to necessarily, you know, speak unauthoritatively about what is going on with Bergie here and this whole thing. Clearly it seems like it was a, an attempt to, to show success, to be successful. You you don't do this sort of thing. I mean, well, obviously that's, you know, if you, if you bought a house for a family member, that's, that's just straight out theft. You know, it's like buying a car for a family member with, you know, stolen money. I mean, I don't know. Did you steal the money to buy the house or did you, you know, did you steal the money and then you say to yourself, well, what can I do with it? Oh, I could buy a house. You know, I don't know. But what I will say is this, there are a lot of people out there who will insist that something like this is probably not nearly the, the 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 bad crime as it is because they themselves are well I don't know how I'm gonna retire so so this person tried to try to to figure out a way to do it I mean is it really that bad of a deal now I will say yes but if I can I am not a manager of a an investment fund. I am not a person who basically tries to get people to invest in certain things. I will I will I'm going to give you some advice here 
if I'm 55 years old. And just as I, as I read this story today, I had just got done looking at my wife's and I retirement account. I'm not going to talk about numbers and that stuff, but the reality is, is that we actually might be able to retire, which is nice. And there are some things that are out there and a concern for us, you know, in the same sense as I had a grandmother who was quite wealthy. She inherited a lot of money, but she also needed full-time medical care for basically 15 years. And that drained the accounts pretty good. And, but, you know, so hopefully nothing like that happens because that could get a little tricky, but at the same time, overall, I think we might be able to have a bit of retirement. And I did not, for the record, rip off anyone to get to this point, nor did I try to get some quick, get quick, rich, quick scheme. I did not, you know, I didn't do anything foolish. I'm going to give you some quick advice here. And what if you, you, you can take it if you want. You don't have to take it if you don't want. But I'm going to give you some quick advice here. And this actually will help you if you're out there. First of all, um, stop, don't, don't think of two things I want you to do. I never want you to do. One, don't treat the stock market like it's freaking Vegas. Do not do that. It's not. It's not designed for quick returns. And it's designed to basically chew people up that look for quick returns. A few years back, like 25 years ago, we were living in Iowa and there was a local company down there that everyone said it was going, it was, it was a, was a going to guarantee that the stock is going up and everything. And so most of my investments are through investment funds and mutuals and stuff like that, you know, and I have 401ks, Roth IRAs, stuff like that. But we did at that point buy a few shares of this stock and it absolutely collapsed. <laughs> it absolutely collapsed. It was, we were, and I, and I learned it's like, well, we were exposed. We bought a stock directly. If it was bought, you know, if you had a, a, a money manager that was managing an account that has a, a good track record, well, guess what? I would probably want to run into that problem. So don't treat the stock market like it's Vegas because you, you might as well just go to Vegas and the next morning when you've lost all your money, you can sit there and say, well, that was stupid. Yeah, exactly. Don't use your house as your retirement fund. Holy God, that is a huge mistake because there's a tendency to people to believe that once you sell the house, you have all that money and you forget, well, I've got to buy someplace, don't I? And you have a tendency, I mean, I, I've had two friends that have done this and they all of a sudden because, wow, prices of houses went up a lot since I bought my place. It's like, yeah, exactly. And so you're already, you're or unless you are basically living in like a $3 million house and you can downgrade to like a $100,000 condo. Yeah, sure. Whatever. You basically don't have much of a choice there. So don't do that. If you can buy a modest house in the school district that you want to be in. Don't look to upgrade. Don't look with the keeping up with the Joneses crap. Find a house that you can live in for 30 years and live there. Now, I understand in this day and age, that's a pipe dream for a lot of people. But one thing that isn't is go on out there and take money and put it into your retirement accounts. Even if you are 50, 55 like me, you still have time to make some return on that money. Not, you know, you're not looking for the fastest return, but you can still get a modest return. 
if I, I, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was my wife. And my wife was one of those people. When I met her in my 20s, she said, how much money do you put into your retirement account each month? And I said, what? I'm food. And uh, she basically said, no, you need to be doing this. And she was right. And it's not like we have, we've sacrificed too much. We've had a good life. We've done some nice vacations. The kids had a lot of the, the stuff and the gizmos and all that stuff. And we, we did okay. But we still put money into retirement. And the reality is, is, as I'm 55 now, I'm looking back and saying, thank God we started doing that when we did. That's my advice. If you get to the point where you say to yourself, I have to rip off my clients or my business so that I can get there, you know, you're thinking about it wrong because that's not about making it to retirement. That's basically about padding your ego. That's about living the high life, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, trying to be successful in a world where for you, it's a, it's, it's, it's through a, a prism, which has to, has to look like it is an episode of lifestyles and rich and famous. And guess what? You're just not going to be able to afford that. And no matter how much money you steal from either your boss or your clients, it's just not going to work. The reality is, is you can have a decent retirement. It just is, you got to stop listening to fools and just got to be, it's not sexy. It's not sexy, but it does work. My advice for what it's worth. And by all means, I completely understand in this economic world that this is not something that's going to apply to everyone when especially you're worrying about how you're going to pay the bills this month. It just is, I am tired of these people that do this sort of thing and steal six, seven, eight figures from people. And the first thing is, well, it's just, they wanted to be successful. So, no, they didn't. They wanted to pad their ego because the reality is, is you can do it yourself. You can be successful. It just is, you need to get a better metric of what successful is. 952-946-6205. Steve, hold on. I'll get your call here in just a second. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Oh, yes. Public enemy number one. But in my heart, she is number one. Taylor. 952-946-6205. I love you, Tay-Tay. Uh, Steve is in Minneapolis. Wanted to chime in on some of the stuff from last hour. Welcome on in, Steve. Hey, Matt. Thanks for picking up. I really appreciate it. Sure. What, now you I feel like uh, you, you were, we were talking okay. about we were talking about the the Smirnoff case the uh, uh, the the this 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 you know person who basically is now this informant who's now been found to be just a pack of lies. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, part of me wants to do the country Joe McDonald fish cheer. Give me an F. Give me an A. Give me a K. Give me an E. What's that spell? Fake. Yes. This entire investigation against Biden is fake. But dig this. Okay. Comer issued a subpoena for a document containing information, and it was on a document called the F as in Frank, D as in David, 1023, which is a form used by FBI agents specifically to record raw, unverified information. That's raw, unverified information. Always the they best. Always, always the best and best for your court case, for sure. <laughs> exactly. And, they, and they, they, they saw it in a secure facility. So what does Marjorie Trader Green do? She takes a picture of this document that they're looking at in a secured facility, and she makes it public on social media. So what did they know, and when did they know it? They already knew that, that this document 
was unverified. And they ran with it because they couldn't. They, they were just drooling over this so bad they didn't really care. You know, Steve, two things, and uh, and Steve, by the way, you can stick around here. I want to get you see if you might want to chime in on these two things. One, have you noticed that even Marjorie Taylor Greene, every Republican's running away from this right now? That the only people that you see out trying to still defend this are Comer and Jordan, and that's it because they everyone I think realizes the game is up. The other thing is, I had Stein on this week, and he was going to be talking to Chuck Grassley next week. I'm dead serious. That's a legit question. I'm hoping he does ask him. When did you know, when exactly were you made aware that Smirnoff was not telling the truth? Because my guess is going to be is he's going to not really answer that and kind of dance around it because, as you pointed out, they knew this years ago. They did. Yeah. I mean, they knew They knew at, at, at a minimum they knew it was shaky. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate the phone call. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number now if you uh apparently uh dean phillips was on a different station yesterday and said some really wacky crazy things you know you dude you want to go cuckoo for cocoa puffs knock yourself out uh but the reality is is yeah he's uh he kind of is in a little bit of trouble but not necessarily from that thing there's something else that's going on here now he seems to be getting more and more bitter because I, like I said, I think he thought to himself, I'm going to, as a moderate Democrat, go on out there and the entire Democratic Party is going to come with me. And everyone's like, hey, close the door on the way out, okay? <laughs> That's kind of how it is. I mean, I'm in his district. I don't know anyone in his district that still likes a guy. I don't know anyone. Not a single person. Nope. I think this was, as a, as a calculation goes, this was a bad one. Then there's this, a Democratic consultant who worked for a rival presidential campaign paid for a New Orleans magician (laughs) to use artificial intelligence to impersonate Joe Biden for a robocall, and that's now the center of a multi-state law enforcement investigation according to a text messages, call logs, and Venmo transactions the creator shared with NBC News. Paul Carpenter says he was hired in January by Steve Kramer, who has worked on ballot access for Democratic presidential nominee Dean Phillips, to use AI software to make the imitation of Biden's voice urging New Hampshire Democrats not to vote in the state presidential primary. I created an audio used in the robocall. I did not distribute it, Carpenter said in an interview with New Orleans where he's currently residing. I was in a situation where someone offered me some money to do something, and I did it. There was no malicious intent. I didn't know what was going to be distributed. You didn't know it was malicious intent, but what was the concept of that again? Carpenter, who holds two world records in fork bending and straitjacket escapes. And I'm not joking. That's actually in the story. Fork bending? You've got a world record in that? Okay. But uh, <laughs> bending over backwards, too. Changing direction. But he has no fixed address. Uh, that checks out. Showed NBC News how he created the fake Biden audio and said he came forward because he regrets his involvement in the ordeal, wants to warn people how easy it is to use AI to mislead. Creating the fake audio took less than 10 minutes, cost him $1, he said, which he was paid $150, according to Venmo payments, from Kramer and his father, Bruce Kramer, that he shared. It's so scary that this is e- that's easy to do, Carpenter said. People aren't ready for it. Carpenter shared that he says is the original audio file created by with 11 labs, which appeared to be a complete and higher quality version of the recording of the call NBC previously reported on. 
The robocall has drawn intense attention from New Hampshire and federal law enforcement officials for possibly violating state voter suppression and federal telecom laws. Officials have mentioned the name of Dallas company that was used to place the automatic phone calls to voters ahead of the state primaries and have vowed to investigate citing a desire to make an example of those involved in the first known example of an AI-generated deepfake being deployed maliciously in an American political campaign. Authorities have not named Carpenter or Steve Kramer as targets of their investigation. The, well, he's a magician. He might disappear. Uh, that's Smirnoff. Uh, after publication, the spokesperson for New Hampshire's attorney general declined to comment. Steve Kramer is a longtime political operative, having worked with dozens of campaigns over 20 years, including the 2020 presidential campaign of the rapper known that was formerly known as Kanye West. Steve Kramer initially did not respond to multiple requests for comment. Days later, he said he would wait to speak on the matter until he publishes an opinion piece on Saturday. My op-ed will explain all. The Phillips campaign and the candidate himself expressed outrage when asked about Steve Kramer's alleged involvement, saying that they never work with him again and may pursue legal action if the allegations are confirmed. NBC News has seen no evidence the campaign directed Steve Kramer to produce or disseminate the robocall. So once again, I want to be very clear here. NBC News is saying Steve Kramer was involved here, but there's no any information that Steve Kramer was wa- working in any kind of capacity for the Dean Phillips campaign at the time he did this. Now, who was he working for? That's a legitimate question. So the Federal Election Commission records show that Steve Kramer was paid $259,946 by Phillips's campaign in December and January. The payments were for ballot access work in New York and Pennsylvania, which includes canvassing for the signatures necessary to qualify for the ballot. The campaign said the work included production and distribution of a robocall that featured Phillips' work voice. Payments listed in their campaign finance findings indicated Steve Kramer did get out the vote work. If it is true that Mr. Kramer had, Kramer had any involvement in the creation of deepfake robocalls, he did so on his own vial of volition and had nothing to do with our campaign. Phillips's press secretary, Katie Dolan, said, the fundamental notion that our campaign is the importance of competition, choice, and democracy. We are disgusted to learn that Mr. Kramer is allegedly behind this call, and if the allegations are true, we absolutely denounce his actions. Well, and I'm going to put out once again, if I may, then who did hire you? Was it Kanye? Yee? Was it Yee? Someone hired you. And it seems like, um, it seems like what has happened is, well, I better wait for I'm going to yeah I'm going to I'm going to wait on this. I'll wait to to figure out what's going on here but something doesn't sound right. They know they know the Dallas company placed the calls. They know the magician in New Orleans recorded the calls. They know that Kramer paid the music, the magician in New Orleans to do these calls. So how did the call the robocall get from New Orleans to Dallas? I'm sure this is to be continued. But once again, I have, and I just want to say for the record, I have no doubt that I have no reason at all to question Dean Phillips's campaign's story that this had nothing to do with them, that Kramer might have been was operating outside of their purview. I have no reason to question that. But clearly, he was working for someone, so we should find out what that's all about. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty.
950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Should we give away that gift certificate? Let's give away that gift certificate if you're all right with that, Patrick. Uh, I've got a $50 gift certificate to Nightingale. Nightingale, fantastic place. If you've not been there, this is a great opportunity for you. A $50 gift certificate. That's for you and a few friends, that's for sure. Uh, Caller number five. Caller number five. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Caller number five, you'll get yourself the $50 Nightingale gift certificate as well as also this be the latest winner on the AM950 Listener Appreciation Month. So good luck on that. Caller number five, 952-946-6205. Good luck on that. So I do have the blog, and the main thing I post on it nowadays is the Friday link. I used to do the 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 weekend Trump, and God, that was just it was so encompassing in my life. I had to stop it. It was actually it was actually kind of becoming too much of a headache. And so at times I've done more stuff on. It, I've done less, and lately I've just mainly done the Friday link, and that's it on on it's on Progressive Citizen X on on uh, um, on Blogspot. You can find it there. And we're at the time of the year, and I and I know this, at the time of the year, I'm going to go revisit a, a post I did about daylight savings time um, in a few weeks because we're getting ready for the people bellyaching, like, why are we changing time again? We lose an hour. Mind you, they don't really complain too much in fall when they get the hour back, but come springtime when we spring ahead, there's always this, this how dare you ruin my life sort of mentality. And, and, and by the way, the gist of that, that article, which I will repost eventually here before too long, is that you, as much as people that don't like daylight savings time get upset about it and say, well, domestic use is way up, so it doesn't save us anything. Well, yeah, that's actually true. I'm not going to disagree with that. But when you factor in municipal, military, and um, uh, and uh, industrial use of electricity, daylight savings time still actually saves us a lot of money. And and so that's that that needs to be factored in. It actually does still save us money. And then on top of that, they'll put out, and this is once again another valid point that for some reason, mysteriously, a few dozen people die every year because of daylight savings time, which is really kind of weird. It's, it's something with the biorhythms or something like that. We're not quite sure. But that is something that happens on a regular basis too, which is really, really odd. The other side of that though is I did find a report that said we have dramatically decreased the amount of pedestrian car accidents in the evening to the point where nationwide, we're probably talking a few hundred a year, uh, pedestrian car accidents where undoubtedly many of those people were dying. And so it's, you know, at, at very best, it's, you know, kind of an equal thing. But the reality is it sounds like through the evening hours being lighter, we've actually saved more lives than we lost with this weird element of daylight savings time taking people out. So this is just one of those things. Every once in a while, I have a post that I'm going to revisit on a regular basis. And there's a second one that I wrote last year that I'm, I guess I'm going to have to revisit on a regular basis as well. Before I get to that though, Patrick, who is our winner of the uh, Nightingale gift certificate? Uh, Dan in Lanesboro, you've won the gift certificate. Dan in Lanesboro. Nice for the call. Uh, Enjoy. You're going to love Nightingale. Fantastic food. Bring some friends. You'll have a great time. Uh, reminder, listen to Robert Pilot, Native Roots Radio, coming up after my show. Bach and tonight on Ghost Box Radio. Fantastic show. 
absolutely fantastic show. Listen to that tonight uh, at 10 o'clock. And then go to uh, like and and like posts and like the page on AM 950 on Facebook. And go sign up for the email newsletter at am950radio.com. So another post I made that I can already tell I'm going to have to revisit is a one called Road Rage. And this was basically there is this idea that's being floated around that we can just get rid of I-94 through the downtowns. And basically, and, I, and I'm taking it from um, downtown um, St. Paul all the way to downtown Minneapolis in the Midway. And we can just get rid of it. And yeah, this is not going to have any problem whatsoever. And I went and I talked a lot about, okay, you know, the, the, and their argument was this will cost us just a few billion dollars. I said, no, 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 no. This is going to be a massive, massive project. If you want to get rid of I-94, you're going to, it, it, and there, there is this, this naivete that, that exists with this, that even though you're going to create somewhat of a traffic nightmare in the midway by losing the one major interstate that goes connects between Minneapolis and St. Paul that you're going to create a nightmare and that there's going to be massive traffic jams on all the city streets because there's still a lot of people that go drive between Minneapolis and St. Paul every day. There's a naivete that's like, well, no, you don't understand. They're going to give up their corporate executive job and they're going to open up a fruit stand on the corner or they're going to, they're going to, they're going to grow organic hemp and make bags and everyone's going to barter and every night we got to sit out there and we're going to play guitar and sing to the stars <laughs> jesus what are you doing no that's not going to work i brought up the two a few different things from this um there's 160,000 people 160,000 cars that use Interstate 94 between the two towns on a daily basis. 160,000 cars that use the I-94, and this is through the MnDOT. I mean, I did I did a ton of research on this, and yeah, it is it it's astronomical what you're going to have to spend on this. The the number I came up with. Because you're going to have to immediately upgrade. If you get rid of 94, you got to fill in the hole. <laughs> that was the initial thing. You got to fill in the hole. That's going to be a pretty pricey thing. You got to rip everything out of there. So all the electrical sewer, everything has got to come on out. All the roads got to come on out. Then you got to find the dirt, basically a Mount Everest sized pile of dirt to fill in that huge trench from downtown St. Paul to Minneapolis. Then you got to build the roads on top of it. Then you got to upgrade the other existing interstates because you still need to have interstate travel. And so you're going to have 35E, 694, 494. All of them are going to have to get upgraded. 35W, 36 is going to have to get upgraded. Crosstown is going to have to get upgraded. I came up with the number just, and this is ballpark, and I still think I was woefully low on this, is you're going to have to look at somewhere in the range of 45 to 60 billion would be my guess. And I still think that's woefully low. Yeah, 45 to 60 billion would be the cost of getting rid of I-94. I hadn't heard that much about it. And now all of a sudden there's a new article that is out on Reformer 
that's talking about this again. And the question comes down is whether you should rebuild the freeway more or less as is or reconsider our commitment to car-centric urban design by reducing its footprint. It's a big question, but there are very good reasons to take it seriously. Uh, massive health disparities, elevated emissions, obviously. Now, first of all, I think we can make an argument very clearly that the interstate system was built through the black neighborhoods at a great injustice. The displacing of the black communities was horrific and horrible. I, I, you know, it's something that should not be forgotten when you look at the interstate system. They specifically with a, with a scalpel went and took out the black neighborhoods and it, that's pretty disgusting. They want to get rid of it and rebuild the Rondo neighborhood. Now, we, we had, if you might be saying to yourself, because this is what I said in the, the article I wrote, aren't they talking about putting a land bridge in the Rondo neighborhood and rebuilding on that, and then you can create that and reconnect the neighborhood? Which, once again, is no guarantee that the African-American community will return there. As a matter of fact, generally, the minute you have gentrification, you basically have all of a sudden becomes white suburban urban area. I'm in the Rondo neighborhood. I've got this apartment that's on this on the land bridge. Look at me. <laughs> Wealthy person. You know, that sort of thing. I think it's a great idea to rebuild the neighborhood, but I think the minute you, you do that, you're, you're, you think it's going to be low-income housing. I think you're crazy. It's going to be as all development is today, which is generally high-income housing and, and luxury apartments and stuff like that. But still, I guess I, I got the idea, and I'm not saying you don't do it. It just it's, it's not as, as, as a clean of a line to undo the damage done by this by just rebuilding the neighborhood, because I have a feeling that, that the developers are going to take that over. Now, there is, they, they, they seem to have come back out and realized the idea of, of filling in the trench is probably not going to be something that can be done, not any bit cost-effectively. Um. You know, the, 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 the argument, and I'm, I'm, once again, I'm not going to necessarily criticize the individual here. They, they have a dream. But the reality is, is the dream is myopic at best. You're ignoring a lot of problems here. You're ignoring the inset, the, the cost here. Here's their proposals. Was, was convert the below-grade highway, so what's on 94 right now, into a surface-level boulevard with room for new housing, parks, transit, businesses, focuses on reconnecting the Rondo neighborhood with the land bridge spanning the highway. I, I think the land bridge idea is a good idea. I, I mean, I think you try it. If it works, well, guess what? I think you start doing more of those land bridges where it's applicable. And yeah, you could end up getting a situation where a good chunk of the midway through St. Paul is basically going, I-94 is going underneath established built parks. And I, I think that's a great idea. Basically, I'm not. I mean, obviously, the the, the injustice of displacing the six thousand residents in the demolished black neighborhoods. I, you know, it'd be great if we could make an initiative and bring the black communities back in there. My guess is the developers will say, eh, you know, on second thought, let's make it high end apartments. And I don't know if that's going to work. I want to though reiterate, you have got to. Think if you want to do something like this, I don't have any problem with you proposing this, but own it. You want to propose this? Fine. Own it. It's going to cost 45 to 60 billion, and it's probably still probably 20 billion dollars less. You need to upgrade the 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 
the you need light rail lines running basically probably down summit you'll need a right rail line um running down you know another one of the streets east west you're going to have to have extended bus you know transit across the board i mean all this has got to be built all of this is going to have to be built um you're going to have to move all these these communities and expand out all these other major interstate highways because you're as much as you want to live in a future where cars are basically left to rot on the side of the road the reality is we still use the cars today and 160,000 cars are not just going to magically disappear overnight and so what your basic argument is this i'm willing to to make 94 better but screw you if you live off 494 or 694 or 35E or 35W or 36 or the Crosstown because your neighborhoods have to be upended and expanded and developed so that we can have our neighborhood like an old school ye old neighborhood from like the freaking Godfather in the 1920s where people are just bartering on the streets, I guess. I don't know. But it is, once again wildly myopic to sit there and say well 160,000 cars they'll manage and by the way they'll always say well when we had got the 35w bridge collapse and they did this dude you you got to go look at those numbers i went and looked through that report and i read through that report extensively yeah you're gonna have major problems every major road between the downtowns will be backed up without any kind of, I mean, that's probably going to exist even if you do expand out all the roads and expand out the mass transportation. I'll give you kudos for dreaming. How about that? I'll give you kudos for dreaming. It's a great idea on paper to basically just take 94 from downtown St. Paul all the way over to downtown Minneapolis and just erase it. And act like it never happened. Rebuild the neighborhoods, bring back the quaintness, and and you know maybe even in in your version, bring the the black communities back in there. Great. The reality is is that you're going to have to destroy a heck of a lot of neighborhoods to make that one neighborhood right again. There's no guarantee the black community is going to be even allowed to come back in there because if developers get in there, they're going to make it all of a sudden high end apartments, and you're going to create even with even in a dream scenario if you did get the funding to expand out all the major roads you're still going to have massive traffic headaches out there one final point here in your argument here you talk about how minneapolis is where was that stat here um that we're, we're not doing this. Minnesota has the fourth largest road network in any state in the country. Well, Minneapolis-St. Paul, that's Minnesota, by the way, not just Minneapolis-St. Paul. Minneapolis-St. Paul metro ranks 44th out of 50 out of major metro areas on a, a, as far as pedestrian trips per capita. Okay, fine. Yeah, it sounds like we're bad. Usually our winters are sucky, okay? So whereas fat, tired bike guy likes to go biking in the middle of freaking winter, fine. Most of us aren't looking for going in a mile-long jaunt at eight degrees outside. It's like a lot of things. You put that out there, and you leave out the part that, well, the reason why we probably like, like lower is because, guess what? It's winter, and usually winters are bad. Like I said, I give you kudos for dreaming. I do. And yes, a world with less cars would be great. That's not going to happen tomorrow.
That's just not. And it's not going. these cars aren't going to go away just because you wish they would go away. Do the Rondo Lambridge. Let's see what, let's do a few blocks of that and see how it goes. And then maybe we can develop it out because I'd love to see if we could reinvigorate those neighborhoods and bring back in the black communities in these neighborhoods. But let's see how this goes. And then we'll see how much money we are before we decide to basically shut down one of the major lifeline roadways in the metro area forever. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. Wrap up the show with some dancing on a Friday. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950.